Welcome to this week's sermon from Amblecote Christian Centre. Today we're continuing the series on More Than Me that uh, Adrian introduced a few weeks ago. And uh, I want to continue to pick that thread, uh, that thread up that Adrian introduced around the idea that our culture is primarily individualistic at its core. Um, And you may think, well, so what text are we going to look at for that? And we're looking at the Ten Commandments, which volumes have been written on. Uh, It is probably one of the most commonly known scriptures in maybe the world, given its prominence in three major faiths. Um, It's known not just to Christians and those of faith, it's known to societies that many laws are built off of it. So I hope today we can find something new in the Ten Commandments by considering how do they tell us that we are more than just ourselves. They're a great way to explore the kind of life God desires for us. However, I think in our mindset we can see them as a checklist, a statement. 10 statements of personal righteousness. In our worldview, there are 10 things you can do to prove that you're a good person. 10 things you can do to think you're okay. 10 ways to act to feel personally good. And if everyone else around me breaks these rules, it doesn't matter because I have kept them. Might be the extreme version of our cultural response to the 10 commandments. I think we can also look at uh, our modern society and our modern laws and say, great, these laws are based on the Ten Commandments, which is very true and it's based on a Christian heritage. But our laws and our society today, I want to argue, lack some of the fundamental and defining features of the Ten Commandments and the things that can really give us life. The things in the Ten Commandments that are lacking today were unique in the ancient world, whereas the things we still follow today, everyone believed. I want to make it clear at the start um, that it would be inappropriate, and I'm not arguing that we should make the Ten Commandments law today. Uh, Law today is a very different beast to how it was back then. I want to convince you that these 10 statements are more than a list of personal righteousness, more than a checklist, more than strict laws for society that we should be hearkening back to. Hopefully we can see they're about more than just me. So we'll start by reading the entire 10 commandments. Um, So if you want to open your Bibles, they're in Exodus 20, um, but I'll be reading them out as well. And the Lord God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth below or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Punishing the children of the sin of the parents for the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for your Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh is a Sabbath 
to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no any work, neither you nor your sons nor daughters, nor male nor female servants, nor your animals, nor any foreigners residing in your towns. For six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is within them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honour your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. You shall not cover your neighbour's house. You shall not cover your neighbour's wife, nor his male or female servants, his donkey or his ox or anything that belongs to your neighbour. Those are the Ten Commandments. Uh, But in this verse, it doesn't call them the Ten Commandments. We get that name from another part of the Bible. In Deuteronomy, it says, And he declared unto you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform. Even ten words, he wrote them upon two stone tablets. So the Bible calls this list consistently the Ten Words. And it's actually an English tra- transition, uh, English tradition, and in English Bibles that calls it the Ten Commandments. Um, and there's a history even of breaking them up in different ways. One tradition writes 13 commandments but calls them the Ten Commandments. And whilst this isn't strictly helpful, and we're not going to do a deep dive into the different traditional views of Ten Commandments, um, I think it's, an, it's helpful to see how stories, tradition and culture can shape the way we see even some of the most fundamental parts of a Bible, parts of a Bible. So moving forward, we get to the issue of are these a list of personal behaviours we have to obey individually? In Deuteronomy, we just read, he said, he declared unto you his covenant which he commanded you to perform. This is the context of the commandments. They are something to do, but they're part of a covenant. God selected a people to be his people and made an agreement with those people. And I think it's really telling that when you read through the Bible, not once did those people keep the Ten Commandments. Even when Israel had broken every single one of them, been led away into exile and seemingly abandoned, God still called Israel his people. God still kept his word and rescued his people. So even in the Old Testament, where we normally view them as strict, strict laws, breaking the commandments did not break God's commitment to his people. And the same is today. Breaking the commandments does not break the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. And the forgiveness of Jesus cannot be overcome by breaking the commandments. These laws, these Ten Commandments are designed by God for a society of people who live in them. They're not primarily given to individuals. They're given to a massive crowd and a society, a group. The Ten Commandments are to be thought of as an introduction to the law, the blueprints of the complete law. They're an ethical guidance uh, which all the laws in the Bible follow thereafter. You could say they're a pattern for God's new humanity. Notice none of these laws have any punishments attached to them. 
If we took the 10 and applied them as modern law, it would be disastrous. And the Bible doesn't even do that. Exodus 20 is the start of the law. And latest in Exodus, we see Moses wrestling with how do you apply these ethics in his society. Take Exodus 21 verse 12. Whoever strikes and kills a man should be put, surely put to death. Okay, simple, thou shalt not kill. However, if he did not lie in wait, but God allowed it to happen, then I will appoint for you a place where he will flee. That verse there is kind of saying, if you didn't mean to kill someone, and it was an accident, and that happened, how do you apply the, the law, thou shalt not kill? And that is what the Bible is wrestling with throughout the rest of the five books at the start in all their laws. In this circumstance, the perpetrator loses their land, their family, and all the things they held dear, and have to flee, losing everything but their life. And we could go all day looking at all these specific examples, but it's important to understand they lived in a different society, a society without police, a society without prison, a society, at this point, without complex cities, laws, or technology. The big question people needed to answer at this time was, how do we take the ethical commandment not to kill and apply it to our society. That's why I wouldn't advocate for death penalty or anything like that based on the Bible. Note in the Ten Commandments, the principal ethics of the laws don't prescribe punishments. They're prescribed later to that specific society. So we said earlier that the modern laws are maybe based on these ethics, which is great, but the commandments give us more than just ethical ideas and how to live together. Some of the most important words of the Ten Commandments, I believe, are missing or going missing from our society. So I'm going to pick just five commandments, which is still a lot. But I'm going to pick five commandments that I think are disappearing and are worth commenting on. The first, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. The second, you shall have no other gods before me. Third, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Fourth, remember to keep the Sabbath holy. Um, and fifth, you shall not covet. We could, support, we could uh, explore all the other commandments and find fresh new things, but time permits only a few. Through archaeology, we've discovered um, some other cultures around Israel at the time that also had documents that looked quite like the law of Moses. And they all tell everybody not to murder. They all say don't steal. They all say don't give false witness. They all say to not commit adultery. You know, the Israelites weren't stood there on the mountain going, oh, I shouldn't murder. What a surprise. In fact, the laws around them even said you should honour your mother and father. And that's why I'm not commenting on them, because they're nothing new. In a strong sense, you could say those were already known. They lived, in, they lived in Egypt. Egypt had laws that followed these kind of ideas. But the Ten Commandments do transform Israel's society and do make it a unique, shining example of God's intended way of life, seen nowhere else in the ancient or modern world. So first on the list, which you may have heard me read and thought, oh, that's not a commandment. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Well, in the Jewish tradition, it is part of the first commandment. In our tradition, we tend to see it as a, um, a kind of introductory statement. 
Um, but I think it's a really important one that maybe we skip past too quickly. We are a people who have a shared story, a shared remembrance of what makes us a people. We are a people defined by our God, Jesus Christ. We're Christian. And we're defined by our remembrance of how he saved us. In a preach a few weeks ago, Adrian talked about how the ancient world was defined by their myths, by their legends and stories that kind of shaped and created communities. Stories that would often in those times last for hundreds of years and for thousands of years, people would still be kind of affected by them. And reading a book on modern Christian ethics, uh, the author comments that myths and stories are still a fundamental part of society today. We like to think we're a people of facts and objective truths, but how can you tell a fact without telling a story? Whenever you tell a fact, you pick a place to start and you pick a place to end. Stories are irresistible to humans and irresistible to forming identity. What are the stories that we use to define British culture? How do we kind of talk about ourselves as a collective identity? We may have some different answers in the room, but I'll give you mine, which I think is pretty fundamental, is World War II. We see ourselves as the plucky underdog who by grit in the face of fascist oppression defeated evil. That's kind of a cornerstone of of a Britishness, I think you might agree. The myth we tell ourselves, that's a myth. It might be based in reality, but it's still a myth, a story that we have told. Guides the decisions we make going forward and even some of the decisions we've made in recent years. Storytelling is so powerful that a Nigerian author tells us how in the 80s, stories of Ethiopian famine, live aid, poverty and war was virtually the only thing you would hear in the West about Africa. And whilst the poverty was true, it was a story told and no other story about African life was told in the West over and over again. Until for many, the image of Africa was pity and poverty. That Live Aid song says, does it even snow where nothing ever grows? And we know today, of course, and we go, well, of course things grow in Africa. But that wasn't the story people were being told. She tells us that power is the ability not just to tell the story of another person, but to make it the definitive story of that person. Let me ask you, who is telling the story today about who we are as Christians? Who and what defines our faith? Are we a people of a gospel of love and forgiveness in this society today? Or are we a people who hate and oppress? We need to be the ones who tell our story. It's kind of a, a side point here. We need, to be, we need to be the people who define ourselves by Jesus Christ. Another author said that the simplest way to dispossess a people is to tell their story but start with secondly. Start with the arrows of the Native Americans and not the arrival of the British and you'll have a completely different story. Stories are what shape communities and they shape our view of other communities. They give us common ground on which to understand the world. Common ground for a vision of how things are. But in today's world, in the world of individualism, the the, the problem is is we have so many stories, so many myths, that we can start to struggle to relate to one another because the common ground can become lacking. 
The only common ground that we seem to have is that everyone should be able to construct their own ground and truths to live on. Today, everyone can decide for themselves what story we tell about ourselves and about our culture. We've seen some of that, even in my example of how we define British example, British culture, we've seen rewriting in recent years and a re-perspective of that, haven't we? We can all have our own truths and we've lost a common vision of what it means to be a people together. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of a land of slavery, is a defining story of Israel and God's rescue plan for humanity. The picture of a rescuer delivering his people is a cornerstone of all the commandments that come after it. Thousands of years later, the prophets, the scriptures, Jesus and the disciples are still talking about the time God took them out of Egypt, even though God's done a lot of other things in between those moments. So pivotal is that thing. The defining story of the church is Christ's crucifixion. And we're still telling that story today. And it needs to be central in our life together, our central vision. It's not individualism to have different ideas about, say, end times, or what the Bible says about leadership, or what the Bible has to talk about pacifism. I like to disagree with people on that. It's the richness of our faith that we're able to disagree and yet be one. It's the richness that we're given a Ten Commandments as an ethical principle, and that we are given the privilege to work that out in our society today. It is individualism when we create our own stories to define us. If your story or idea of how the world is going to end defines your Christianity, then you're moving in the spirit of individualism, not in the spirit of common vision of Christ. Due to individualism, we've made it possible to fracture and split the church of the tiniest theological differences because we've made the centre of our faith, the centre of our story, something other than Jesus Christ. So my call today is, can we be a people who come together with one vision, one place that we look at, Jesus Christ? The power of that is that we can remain in fellowship even when we disagree And we can work together instead to seek truth on different matters. The next commandment I want to cover is the first commandment in our tradition. You shall have no other gods before me. It's preceded by this powerful principle of a community of God's people. A people who should have a common story, a common vision of what defines them. But this first commandment is truly unique in the ancient world. No other God demands soul worship. And the second commandment, not to make any idols, is part of what makes our community unique. If we want to be more than me, we have to leave behind our insistence on forming our own gods. Forming our own supreme powers, you could say. Forming our own hopes for power and control over the world and lean instead into Christ who has power and control over all things. One of the things missing from the laws which would shock people around them and I'm sure the Israelites were looking out for them was the lack of magic and rituals to get God to do stuff for you. Like it's, it's inconceivable in the ancient world that you'd have a religion with no rituals to get God to do what you wanted him to do. Life was a battle against chaos. The world was full of 
disasters, famines, rains, wild animals, storms, diseases, unexplainable, uncontrollable happenings. In the religions around Israel, they would perform rituals and sacrifices and follow laws in an attempt to, to, to flee this chaos and bend the will of gods around them to protect them from harm. They created cities and kings who were seen as gods in an attempt to have a little bit of control over what was going on and keep chaos at bay. But God's way has a different character. God chose a people and there is not a single ritual you can perform in the Bible to make him do something for you. The festivals and rituals of God, as Tim talked about, even the sacrifices of the Old Testament that look like other religions were not to make God do something, but were to do something to the community of God's people. God's way is about a relationship between God and his people. His instructions are about how to live together and how to live in close proximity to him, not like the other gods who are distant. Sacrifices are about cleansing people and spaces so that they can be near God. No other religion treated sacrifice like this. Truly every culture around Israelites' law was only concerned with creating a safe space in society for the powerful to live in. It was about compensating loss of the powerful and the rich. The religion was concerned with trying to win favour with God's through sacrifice and loss. Whereas we see in the Bible an attempt to create one people unified under God. God flips this on his head when he rescues people from Egypt. Before he asks Israel to do anything covenantially, he has already rescued them. This is the same pattern we see in Jesus when he dies for us before any of us repented and believed in him. We're more than just us alone. We're more than just individuals. We're a people under one God and together we're a bride of Christ. Together we're receivers of God's relationship. Which brings us quite nicely to you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Once again, in our first few commandments, uh, this is a statement not about how you should relate to one another, but how to relate to God himself. And this verse is maybe commonly underplayed or misunderstood. And it's certainly a good idea to not use the Lord's name in a curse or to shout his name in surprise or misuse it in that sense. But this scripture is a little bit bigger than what we might say when we're shocked Remember, these 10 aren't strictly the laws themselves. They're the principles, the guiding principles from which all law comes from. To treat something in vain means to cause it to become empty, hollow, worthless, or to come to no good purpose. To use the name gives us two possible meanings. First could be literal, meaning don't use his name wastefully. Emptily or purposely. Don't evoke his name for no apparent reason. Like using it as a curse. But more importantly, there is another meaning. Which is the people of Israel, by joining with God, became the people who bear the name of God. They're the people of the name. They use the name of God every time they take a breath. Because they are his people who belong to him. 
They carry his name and represent him on earth. This isn't a commandment about casual words we say. This is a commandment about our whole lives. God's supreme ethic here is that we're not a people who misrepresent him on earth. We're a people who don't make God seem wicked or worthless or of no good purpose. And we're not a people who use his name or our lives for our own gain. If our actions as a community demonstrate to the world that God is meaningless, then we're bearing the Lord's name in vain. So how can we be a people whose life is about more than me? How can we be a people who bring honour and respect to God's names through our actions, words and deeds? Um, Something, I think, that flies in the face of our current worldview is uh, that these laws are aimed at a community, aren't they? They're aimed at a people. um, And they're aimed at a people to self-govern these rules. There's an idea today that you can't correct one another, that you can't ask people to be different or change. But it's our duty, if we agree together that we bear the name of God, it's our duty to help one another bear him well. If we see one another or our community bringing God's name into disrepute, it's our duty to help our brothers and sisters to bring glory to his name instead. So if we're going to carry a common vision and story and bear the name of God, what's another way that we can do that? Well, the next commandment on our list to tackle is remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Sabbath, once again, I'll say it again, I've said it a thousand times, it's unique in the ancient world. People sometimes try to erode the Christian faith uh, by claiming it's all just cobbled together from other religions at the time. But there is nothing like Sabbath ever in the ancient world or today. Adrian did a series on Sabbath, which you can find on the podcast. Just scroll back a bit. And they're really worth a listen. Um, Just to give you a sneak peek, I want to give you kind of five of Adrian's points. And then you guys can go away and uh, see what he really meant about them. His first point was God is the author of a material world and rest. His second is that Sabbath is blessed and holy. His third was that Sabbath is a celebration of God's design, fundamental. Fourth, he said, God designed Sabbath as a reminder of his redemption. And fifth, Sabbath is a, sub, is a culturally subversive uh, work. Our worth is not linked to work. Uh, one of the best quotes from it, I think, was he said, we have to be a people who give ourselves to rest. Rest doesn't happen on its own. We have to intentionally build a time when we step out of labor and into rest. Sabbath, for many reasons that we can't cover today, but you can find out in the podcast, is fundamental to God's vision for for humanity. That's why it's in the Ten Commandments, and that's why there's such a lot of explaining text next to it. The other commandment, it just says, thou shalt not murder, But when you read about the Sabbath, there is a lot of explanation as to why they should do this. Because it was so new and so revolutionary. But how is the Sabbath about more than just me? Well, throughout the Bible, people use the Sabbath to gather, to worship, to eat, to drink together, uh, to read scripture. If Sabbath rest is a if Sabbath rest is a countercultural break from seeking greatness and wealth or status and a sense of worth, then resting together is surely putting to death 
the sense of individualism. I'm not advocating that you should now fill your social calendars to the full, stacking them so that you never get a moment to yourself. But if you're living in a daily grind of life and your only rest is between your, your commitments, then perhaps you as a household, not just you, perhaps you as a friendship group, not just you on your own, perhaps us as a community need to help one another rest. Maybe the call to rest doesn't lie just on you individually, but on you in whatever group you form. And it's time to help one another do that. Through that, we can design, uh, through rest, we can develop friendships, connections, and even new behaviors and new cultures. We can perhaps even help each other come under this one vision and one story we talked about earlier. Finally, on my list of commandments is the commandment, you shall not covet. Um, Some of these I've said are unique in the ancient world, but actually everyone agreed you shouldn't covet, which is quite interesting. I didn't know that. Um, But I've picked this one because I think it's disappearing from our society. Um, We used to say, you know, don't be jealous. And we teach our children not to be jealous. And yet when they grow up and become adolescents and adults, we teach them to earnestly seek a greater life, to live famous, rich or ambitious. We celebrate as a society when people kind of achieve these things. And I celebrate actually that people from all walks of life can achieve great things. But I do wonder if we do a disservice to the next generation when we push everyone to be a rock star, an astronaut, and a brain surgeon. What are we saying about a satisfied and full life? What are we saying if life and life to its fullness is an amazing job and fabulous wealth? It isn't cultural status or wealth or significance in personal achievement. And whilst all those things are possible and not evil in themselves, they are not the ultimate ambition for a member of Christ's community. Why is coveting the only attitude in the Ten Commandments? The rest of them are actions. This one is a thought. Why is God policing a thought here? The Bible should shape the way we think and value people. In a society where we're free today to covet all we want, we're free to treat people as valuable for what they give us, how they can benefit us, or as competition in our way. Now, it's a pretty petty example, but I feel like I should include a petty petty self-example. I met a guy who makes video games for a company. And before I knew this, I thought he was cool. I was enjoying my time with him. But the second I learned about his job, he shot up in my estimations. Because... People need people to test their video games, and I've always wanted to try that. (laughs) So internally, I'm battling because I want to treat him differently. I want to come up with a strategy to get what I want out of this person. My value has moved from who God made them to be, from maybe the mission of Jesus Christ, to what I can get out of this person. How can I have an honest relationship in that situation? How can I live in a community that Jesus said there are no slaves or free or Gentiles, that we're all equal people in the same body of Christ, if my heart just really wants what you guys have and I prioritise you based on what you've got? Because I won't treat people according to who God made them. 
The reason this is the only attitude in this laws is because it's a mindset and a vision for God's community. It's a fundamental building block and an idea that will train our brain away from individualism and away from selfish desire. If you're not focused on the acquisition of stuff or possessing what others have, then you're focused on something else. And I think the commandments show that the vision and focus is firstly on God and secondly on others. And this is where Jesus kind of ruins preachers on the Ten Commandments, isn't he? Because he's already said it all in a few short words. He said the summary of the law is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and love the neighbour as yourself. So if we want to be a people together that live a life that's about more than just the individual, then we need to be a people with a common vision and a common idea of the ethics and values we want to live. The Ten Commandments ambition is to give us a skeleton for common ground together. Have you ever started a conversation and just realized you have no common ground for that conversation? And you've realized that no matter what you say, you're just not going to be able to get anywhere in that conversation. We should have a common ground that is based on these ethics. So I'm starting to wrap up now. And I couldn't be comprehensive because the Bible is full of a vision for God's people a vision for what he wants our life to be like. But there are some fundamentals that we can build from that I've mentioned today. And maybe take a moment as I read over my five points about the five commandments. Uh, Have you strayed from these visions? Have you placed other ideas and values between you and those around you? So the first one is we are a people with a belief in a common story. The story is that God has rescued us, and that defines our community. Have you put a different story ahead of God's story? We're a people with one God, a God in relationship with us. We're not making deals or bargains with a dispassionate and chaotic universe. We're a living family, a people with God as our Father. Have you strayed from that truth? Third, we bear the name of God's. We're a people who are committed to bringing honour to that name. Phil prayed that if we are hearers and not doers of the word of God, then how are we bringing honour to God's name? Fourth, we're a people whose fundamental ambition is not work and glory. And fifth, we're a people who prioritise equality and value and value one another, not the things or status that, one another, that another person has. So I'm just going to pray and then hand back to the team. Father, we thank you for your great story. Lord, we pray that your story would define us and change us and remould us into a people in your own likeness, a people like you, Jesus. Lord, we pray that we would come to know you as the head of our household, the head of our family, as an intimate and personal God in relationship with us. Lord, I pray that we could bear your name as that people, worthily, and bring honour to you, and help correct one another as we stray from that. And I hope, Lord, that your vision and value for the church would transform our thinking away from selfish pursuit, away from ideas that teach our children even, to pursue greatness above God. But I pray you would teach us, Lord, 
to humbly follow after you and see what life has in your hands. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Amblecote Christian Centre. For more information about who we are, what we believe and how you can get involved, check out our website www.amblecotechristiancentre.org.uk.